When you're a kid, you think the universe revolves around you. They think that you'll always be protected and cared for. Then, one day, you realize that's not true. Because when you're alone as a kid, the monsters see you as weaker. You don't even know they're getting closer. All, all of our levels are fine. Down here, our levels float. <laughs> and, and you'll float with our levels, too. Ladies and gentlemen, Christopher Lee returns to play Pennywise, the dancing clown. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's my way of doing an audio check, is to do Christopher Lee doing the Pennywise, the clown. All right. Mic check, mic check. Mic check, and welcome to Age of Cinema. I'm Jack. Nice. And um, I'm going to introduce you now because I don't have Andrew here. Um, I actually have a special guest, uh, my wife, Corey. Hi, everyone. Yes, you might have heard her before as not she's not guest star Matt, but she will do. I show up sometimes. Yes. I mean, I live here, so he, Jack throws me a pity bone every now and again. A pity well. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Jeez, get your mind out of the gutter, wife. <laughs> I many <many-th-> yeah. <laughs> Boy, well, there's a lot of boning to talk about in this movie. Actually, there's not, but we'll get to that later. We'll get to that later. We'll get to that the there. of boning to talk about yeah, this movie. Yeah, so Andrew isn't here. Uh, he just, I don't know, he just didn't feel like seeing the movie today. Uh, what we are talking about is It. And there's no other things after that. This isn't It Follows. This isn't It Comes at Night. This isn't It Conquered the World or It Conquered the Martians or It, whatever. It's just It. Simple, clean, It. And I thought this was really good. Me too. I was really hyped to see it because... You um, couldn't escape the hype. This has been around for, for months, I feel like. Yeah, I was really, really, really hyped to see it. I should say, I was really hyped to see it when I saw it was getting such good reviews. Because beforehand, I was moderately hyped to see it. Because on the one hand, I have a great fondness for the source material... But on the other hand, I thought it might be difficult to translate the source material to film. Yeah. Well, also, we should talk about... Well, we might even get into other um, Stephen King adaptations that we've had this just this past summer. Or at least one. Um, that were directed by a sentient jar of mayonnaise. Yes. Uh, I'm sure... I don't know if anybody would follow Corey on Facebook, but... <laughs> She went on a bit of a tirade after we saw The Dark Tower. I actually didn't talk about this on the podcast before, but we saw The Dark Tower movie previously. Uh, about it, It's a kind of a Stephen King uh, smorgasbord right now, you could say, in pop culture, because they the Dark Tower adaptation came out beginning of August. Then there was a Mr. Mercedes adaptation that nobody saw because they decided to some weirdo network that nobody's heard of i mean we have a pretty expansive cable package and i've never even heard of the network this show was on yeah i i feel like it was for sprint customers or something like that i or direct tv it's like here's a good idea if you want people to watch your channel uh, or watch your show don't put it on the at&t network where (laughs) like two people watch it 
And and it's sad because I saw that like a. It was funny. This is just an aside. I know I'm, we'll get back to it in a second because I was like just working out one day and I don't I don't plug in to listen to the TV stuff. I just listen to my own whatever. But on the screen, I was watching like a preview channel and they had a behind the scenes look at Mr. Mercedes and like they I could see a little closed captions and it was just like they had Stephen King on set and like <laughs> the kind of thing where. As if he was there every day or something, where or, um, um, as instead of him just popping up for like one day for the photo op, where he's just like, I am listening on the scene. I give my thumbs up. <laughs> I approve of whatever shitty adaptation you're doing of my work. <laughs> just as give me the check. As long as the check clears. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which was really the case with the Dark Tower, I feel like. The fact yeah. that he praised that. It makes me a little suspect. Well, I know the show Mr. Mercedes existed because another podcast that I listened to did a review of it. The TV Avalanche podcast. So, mm. I, unlike you, I've read the Mr. Mercedes trilogy. Yeah. So, I would have some interest in the series. Yeah. Although, of that trilogy, the first volume was actually my least favorite. I think books two and three in the series are better. Well, I assume that if they're making it into a TV series, they're going to change quite a bit. Um, at least it's not, you could say, it's it, they're, they aren't condensing it all into a movie. Um, but, you know, we're not talking about Mr. Mercedes. We're going to talk about it. Um, now, there are some people who are calling this a remake. You could say it maybe is because there is the miniseries from uh, the early 90s which had tim curry as as pennywise which um i've seen that a few times over my life like i never really am like "Ooh, i'm so excited to watch it it was more like oh okay i should probably watch it and then 10 years go by and i'm hanging out with you and the other guys and we're like all right let's watch a bad movie night let's watch it <laughs> Yeah, so why don't we start our grounding of the movie by talking about our relationship to the source material and the other adaptation of that's, the source that's, material. That's a great idea. Um, because, well, we've both... I've... Here's the thing. I, I was trying to maybe get done in time to watch the movie. Um, we both read the book, but whereas you read the book and read it years ago, I am not quite done with it yet by a lot because for those of you who might not know Stephen King likes to write a lot <laughs> a lot um he, he almost can't stop himself and nobody will tell him no and if anything he gets worse over time like the stand originally was like a 650 or 700 page book and then 10 years later he added on like like 300 more pages and that's what everybody now reads um so i didn't finish it all but i you've read about a third of the book right I, about a quarter i'd okay. say or a quarter to a third something like that um all right so and i would say that reading the book again from what i've read i feel like this movie definitely captures the tone if nothing else but there are also a lot of scenes kept intact from the book too would you say, again, I know it's been a little while, but why don't you talk about your relationship? So, I read the book about five years ago. To summarize, my feelings about the book was I, I believe 90% of it 
is my favorite thing that I've ever read from Stephen King. I consider myself... Stephen King is so prolific. I've read less than half of the books he's written, but I have read probably in the ballpark of around 25 Stephen King books. (laughs) That's pretty good. I'm actually not too far behind. I've read about 20 of his books. I mean, there are so many of them. So I think most of it is my favorite thing he's ever written, Mm. but I think he botched I think he kind of botched the ending. Um, Which we can get to that a little bit later. Uh, now, I have to say, though, I remember my general impressions, and I remember certain things from the book, but if you're looking for a really detailed book-to-movie comparison, I'm probably not going to be able to give it to you because I read the book about five years ago, and I read a lot, both recreationally and for work, which means my long-term retention mm. of the books I of the books I read for fun is kind of poor. So, on when we were driving home, I looked at my Goodreads app on my phone. I would estimate, just for fun, I've read approximately five hundred and twenty books <laughs> since I read it. <laughs> You're you're like you're like Ben Hanscom. You you really like reading. <laughs> you could just live at the library all the time. Um, so, I mean, I read it over five hundred books ago in my recreational reading journey. So, well, here's a question then: Did seeing the movie jog back any memories from the book? Yes, and actually, it jogged some memories. Of things that were in the book, but not in the movie. Not just that uh, one thing that we're going to talk about, but other no, things. No, no, no. There, there were certain things, too, that I noticed as well. And, you so. know, it, it's difficult, too, to sometimes talk about when you're adapting something. Because it's you're always bound to leave something out. Like, even, even Zack Snyder's Watchmen, I'm sure, left <laughs> something out. And that's probably the most faithful adaptation, at least in plot and character, I've seen. So, for instance, I remembered information about the bullies, Hmm. like Henry Bowers and his crew, that's in the book, that's not in the movie. Yeah. Or I remembered, I didn't remember this immediately, but I remembered once the film was underway that, like, hey, wait a minute, in the book, Mike's the historian. Yeah, he is. Well, also, you know, and again, this might be jumping ahead, but for those who have seen the 1990 movie, you might remember this. Mike is the one who brings back everyone together when they're adults, too. Yeah. Because he's the one that stayed. Yeah. Um, now, I have a question. I haven't, because I've gotten to parts of the stuff with Mike, which, which by the way, his his first interaction with it is very different from this movie. Because uh, actually, that's around where I left off in the book just before we went to go see this today. Um, is he black in the book? I don't think he is. Like, I don't know if I get, like, any mention of that. Like, in both the 90 movie and this, he's black. Do you think, like, maybe they just wanted to have a black character? I think he's black in the book. Okay, maybe he is. You know what? Something though, like you just brought up though, Mike Hanlon. Something I missed that from the book in this movie. Um, Stephen King spent uh, you know not too much time, but enough to establish uh, 
uh, Mike's uh, home life. And in the book, his parents are alive. And it was something that, you know, granted, we, we don't see a lot of Mike's home life in the movie either. But in 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 the book, his parents are, pro- his dad, especially his dad, stuck out to me as, as one of the few parental figures that's actually decent <laughs> and nice. And because, like, in this, Mike's parents are dead. Now, maybe, I don't know, maybe I got, I didn't get to a point in the book where, Mike's parents are gone, but, uh, by the way, I should actually just mention for those of you listening who don't know what we're talking about, because who knows, there might be some people listening who have never heard of what this book is or what this movie is. Basically it, if you've ever heard of Pennywise, the clown, maybe you might be familiar with the word or might ring a bell because of the band Pennywise. I don't know if you ever heard the band Pennywise. I've heard of the band. They're like a hardcore rock metal type band uh, they they were it was always like if you picked up like a compilation cd from like the vans warp tour or something like that you'd see a track by pennywise <laughs> like oh pennywise made an appearance he's floating over here um so basically this movie it, the story takes place in the town of Derry, maine because of course it's maine stephen king um and Again, you have to talk about them differently because the movies are going to do something different. This first movie is just taking place in the late 80s. And you have a group of kids who are total outsiders. And somehow, through one way or another, they a few of them are already kind of friends. But then there are other kids who become part of their group. And they form what they... I don't know if they call themselves this. They kind of make reference to it. In the movie, through like a reference, uh, they're the Losers Club, yes. so to speak, and they all are connected in that they're seeing this uh, very sadistic clown with yellow eyes named Pennywise, the Pennywise the Dancing Clown, played by Bill Skarsgård, and he uh, is terrorizing them and also, you know, killing and mutilating children left and right for the past several months in Derry. As we find out, he's been doing for every 27 years in in this town. Um, and so the kids got to fight him. Um, so I just wanted to get that out of the way in case anybody's wondering what we're talking about. And the kids in the, in the story are Mike, uh, Bill, Ben. Uh, the, what, they don't call him Trash Can in the movie, but is that Richie? Yeah, they actually... At one point, he says something about his trash mouth. Yeah, well, that's why they call him Trash Can in the book and maybe in other places. Uh, like, the, you have different types of characters. You have Ben Beverly is the girl in the group. Um, oh, who's the Jewish kid? Stan. Oh, Stan. And I might be leaving out. Oh, and then uh, Eddie. Yes. Who, uh, and every kid, of course, gets a type. Yes. You know, you have token. <laughs> <laughs> you have token woman you have the stutterer you have again talking shit guy which is richie you have um the fat kid and then you have um asthma guy and oh. i might be leaving one off but um the jewish guy yeah and the jew <laughs> but what i like in both this movie and the story is that they are types, but it's like sometimes they play to the types, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're just they just want to be kids, 
and everything else around them is just miserable. <laughs> like, I feel like the movie caught that tone of the book pretty well, that these kids are leading pretty miserable lives. Yeah. Um, I think the movie... My... The thing that I really enjoyed about the book when I read it that I knew would be very hard to capture in a film was how much Derry itself is a character. Yeah. How much you get a feel for the town. And I've always appreciated Stephen King's ability to give you a really good sense of the day-to-day -day lives yes. of his characters. And I think this did about as well as you can expect for a movie. Yeah, I mean, they... Again, you're, you're dealing with a movie that's a little over two hours long. They, you know, they, they could have gone multiple routes about it, but ultimately for a big mainstream Hollywood horror movie, which, you know, this is a horror movie, they were able to do enough stuff about the town and also about the history of the town that, you know, that wasn't nothing. It was not something that they just kind of tossed off and, it, you know, because that can sometimes be a danger if you have just, you know, these kids living in this town and all these horrible things are happening. You ask, why are they happening? But you know, because there are all of these horrible incidents that have happened over time. And one thing that, just, just talking about the movie for a second, this isn't about the book so much. I feel like the trailer tried made it look like, it, like the parents or the adults were going to be more threatening than they were in the actual movie do you know what i mean yeah that doesn't mean there aren't like threatening adults in the film because it's stephen king <laughs> um but like the trailer made it seem like for example the the guy working at the pharmacy was going to be a threatening character and oh, he's you not mean clark kent <laughs> you know what's funny about that he looked a little bit like adam west as an older man. <laughs> so it's funny that they called him Clark Kent. Yeah, because he had glasses and Beverly does a thing um, to do that. Um, but yeah, no, I appreciated that it, it made the town a good presence. And you kind of had to do that. If you're going to do two movies you know, from the source material, you have to make sure that your town is really set as this place that... You know, at first glance, it's a normal town, but what about that Kneebolt Street and that house on it, <laughs> which is basically like um, an amalgamation of every haunted house ever made. Do you know what I thought would be really cool while I was watching this movie? Hmm. Imagine how cool it would be to watch a Ken Burns-esque faux documentary about the history of Derry. Huh. Wouldn't that be great? That's not bad. Yeah, and like you could even call go call me Stephen King. <laughs> well, call El call Errol Morris. He, he should be on that. You could have like characters talking to the screen, and uh, you know it would be like a like the Thin Blue Line or uh, the Unknown Known, where it's just like <laughs> full of sinister stuff and people talking at the camera. Who? Yeah, that's actually a pretty wonderful idea. Um, that would actually make a pretty good fan film too. Because you could take, because there, yeah, for those, again, if you read the book, you recognize that Stephen King, yeah, spends a lot of time talking about the town. And you might almost think, well, like, and that, there was one point in where I was reading the book where I thought, maybe there's a little too much detail here. 
but no, it it event it, it makes it feel so lived in that you can feel like you can picture everything there. You can picture the barrens. You can picture even distinct waterfalls and cliffs and, and things as specific as as that. Now, I should also mention though that the movie did decide to change some things, which I don't think were that bad. Like they decided to move up the timeline. Mm-hmm. I had no problem with that at all. Yeah, so the book is set in 1958 and 1985. This was set in 1988-89. Yeah. For, and... I really appreciated that it was a movie that did not slam you over the head with, this is set in the 80s. Boom, 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 It did do a few things, but it wasn't annoying. It wasn't like, you know, even though I thought the movie was okay, when we saw Atomic Blonde Mm. uh, not too long ago this summer, I thought that movie was really hammering you over the head with 80s, 80s, 80s. Yeah. Um, Not everyone lived in The Wedding Singer in the 1980s. <laughs> well, also, the 80s has just been so yeah. done with this. Not least of which, um, Stranger Things. Which, I, I was talking about this with you before we saw the movie. I think that the reason why this movie is now... You know, we're, we're recording this on a Sunday, and... The movie's looking like it's going to make like $100 million this weekend or something like that, which is insane for a horror movie. Um, I think that people loved Stranger Things so much last year, they wanted to get their Stranger Things fix before the new season. <laughs> and this, it's an interesting thing, because watching the movie, I get why, um, I, I also mentioned to you that the, the directors of Stranger Things... Uh, the Duffer Brothers, they originally, they wanted to make It. This was way before Stranger Things. They wanted to try to direct the movie, and they were told, you don't have enough, quali- you're not qualified enough, you're you're too low rung. So they were like, all right, we're going to make our own thing. And that became the big sensation it is. I think it just goes to show, and this should be a lesson to not just filmmakers, but Hollywood executives, maybe don't always remake the same thing. Maybe let your talent be inspired by your thing and then try to make your own thing, which I also call the George Lucas Flash Gordon Star Wars principle or, uh, <laughs> or I'm sure I could think of something else, but, but I can't right now. So yeah, I, I had no problem with the setting. I thought I really liked that the movie didn't slam you over the head with obvious specific um, like, 80s references. Well, again, there are a couple. I mean, Ben is a fan of New Kids on the Block. <laughs> that was really funny. Um, yeah. Because there are two references to his New Kids on the Block fandom. Where, um, one where he's listening to it on a Walkman, where yeah. he first meets Beverly, and mm-hmm. then later when they go to his house to see yeah. the layout of all the historical information he's gathered... You can just see yeah. that he has a new kids on the block poster. It, it works too because storytelling wise, it's plant and payoff. Because they have that you you have that moment where Bev Beverly first meets Ben and she notices he's listening to that music, and it's like, oh, okay, that's a fun reference. But when they go back to the bedroom and she see and she's the only one that sees the poster and recognizes, oh, 
I don't want Ben to be embarrassed by everybody else because <laughs> he'll never be able to escape it. Like, even Bill would make fun of Ben for a new kids on the block poster. <laughs> and Bill is like the quintessential Stephen King straight man. What other things have I seen that kid in who played Bill? You know what you saw him in. Uh, what? Oh, let me look up the actor's name, but you know who he is. He looks so familiar to me. I, I want to look up his name because I don't want to get uh, this wrong because... Uh, oh, my Lord. You know where you saw he him from. He was in the book of Henry. He is he? Henry. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, the actor is... He has a weird name. His name is Jaden Leverher. I don't know if I pronounced that right. He's been in a number of movies uh, over the past few years, actually. He, um, well, the thing that he really, oh, no, no, I'm, I, I was, wait, did, was he? No, no, he wasn't in that. I seriously didn't remember that until right now. I was he probably was all, he, trying to block the trauma of the Book of Henry. Oh, no, no, I knew who he was. He, he's he's hard to mistake. He was also in Midnight Special. Okay. Uh, he, he was the, the kid in that. Uh, I thought he was much better in this than well, in uh, than Book of Henry. In the Book of Henry, his character is so obnoxious that you're actively rooting for the cancerous child to die. Yeah, well, all, yeah, it's a lot of it. I think comes down to writing. I think I could tell even watching the Book of Henry, as much as I hated that movie with every fiber of my being, like that might be the worst movie of this year, and this has been the year that gave us the Dark Tower. Um, <laughs> Uh, I could tell that he had some talent, but I think it was a combination of terrible direction and terrible writing where, yeah, he, he had that, yeah, extremely loud, incredibly close problem where he was just in everybody, everybody's grill (laughs) 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 and was not like how kids talk either. Also, it helps too that. You know, as an actor, even as a young actor as he is, he was actually given some good motivation here. He wasn't given, uh, the girl next door is being maybe beaten up slash sexually abused for reasons we don't know. Here, it's simple enough. His brother's dead. Yes. That's it. Um, and, uh, yeah, so he was really good. All the kid actors were good. Yeah, I was really, I thought... Child acting is always dicey, but I thought the kids were good on the whole. I liked their rapport with each other. Yeah, they they, they had really good chemistry. I kind of agree with, um, I forget who wrote it, but I read two different reviews who said probably the standout performance was the actor who played Beverly. Yeah, she was quite good. I would agree with that, that she was probably my favorite performance out of all the You know what's funny? You're You're talking about, like, recognizing actors... You know what made me also think of Stranger Things? The character, the actor, Richie was from Stranger yeah, Things. Yeah, he plays Mike Wheeler. I didn't recognize. Yeah, I, I thought I recognized him. You couldn't it- recognize him with because he had the glasses on. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> the- <laughs> And you and you talk smack about that whole. I have Clark always Kent talked Superman. smack about how stupid it is that all Clark Kent has to do is put on a pair of glasses and no one can recognize him. But you totally didn't recognize that kid. Just no, no, no. I I thought he looked familiar. I just that's why I was. But that's why I was especially thinking of Stranger Things because he was in the same thing. It's like I don't know. You have like 
like imagine well i was about to say if you had max von Sydow in star wars after you've been flash gordon and he was <laughs> yeah the actor's name is finn wolfhard which that's quite his last name is wolfhard yes oh my god <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Wolfhard, Mr. Wolfhard, can I have your autograph? Hard. Yes. Like you... the word wolf and the word hard. Yes. And it's spelled just W-O-L. Yes. Oh my god. You know who I th- you know who might be the weak link in the actors? Like he's not bad, but he's just kind of okay. Um, and I, maybe it might be because everyone else, especially by the way, the actress who plays Beverly is Sophia Lillis. The actor who played Stan was just kind of okay. I don't know, maybe this is me nitpicking now, but, like, there were a couple scenes where, I don't know, like, he, he was really trying, like, there's a scene late in the movie where he gets attacked, I won't say exactly how if you want to go see the movie and be surprised, but his reaction after he's attacked with all the other kids, I was like, come on, you gotta try harder, man. Do another take. <laughs> I don't know if you felt that way at all. But. I didn't have strong feelings about his performance one way or the other. I just knew that none of the performances struck me as bad, and multiple performances struck me as good. Well, yeah, especially Sophie Lillis. Like, she is, she She's was really great. good, and also kind of made it so that it's impossible for me not to think that Amy Adams has to play her in it part two. <laughs> like, She's Amy Adams' daughter. Like, they cloned yeah. Amy Adams and made a little Amy Adams for the movie, which, um, you know, it's something, uh, this brings to mind something, talking about the Beverly character. Um, like, because I, I read a review that a friend wrote of uh, of It, the book, um, and he talked about how, again, when we could talk about that ending that is not in the movie, but is in the book, it's so disturbing. Uh, do you think that maybe... Like, if maybe they should have had like another female character as one of the losers instead of it just being the one. Well, like, maybe it would have made it a little bit more diverse, a little bit more less like we have this one girl, and that's why it especially becomes more problematic when you have that ending. Happen. Well, yeah, I don't think you could have that ending if you had more than one lady. Um, and since I particularly hate that plot twist, I would have been fine with adding an additional female character. However, I don't think they would have done it in the movie. Because I think there are enough people who are familiar with the source material who would have resented. Yeah. You know how people get so whiny about, like, PC America social justice warriors are destroying everything. You know how whiny people get on the oh, internet. Yes. So I don't think it's something the creators would have done. Yeah. Um in terms of me personally, I mean I don't know. I'm not saying it's something that had to be done, but something that just it, it occurred to me when this friend of mine wrote said it in his review on Goodreads. Again, this is talking about more so the book, not just the movie. Then again, you have a a film though that is also, you know, this Losers Club is very male in a huh. way, like especially how some of them talk to one another. So maybe having more than one girl might have not worked. I don't know. It's something I hadn't really thought of, but you're right. It would have would have diffused that ending. Yeah. 
Um, so what else do I want to say here? Um, Bill Sarsgaard. So, Sarsgaard. Mouth, Bill Mouthguard. Uh, <laughs> Hi, Georgie. What a nice pony. Do you want it back? Um, yes, please. You look like a nice boy. Do you want a balloon to a Georgie? I'm not supposed to take stuff from strangers. Oh, well, I'm Pennywise the Dancing Clown. Now we aren't strangers, are we? I should get going now. Oh. Without your boat? As Pennywise, I thought was excellent. Yeah, let's talk about how we felt maybe about the vi the visuals of the various monsters. Yeah, well, we yeah, because you know he's playing the main character of this manifestation that again we just call it, mm. even though you know it isn't you know the mis the mistaken assumption you might think is well he's only a clown that's not really scary. No, he f takes the form of a clown because that is what will bring in a child, like at the very beginning with George, you know, and that, um, because, you know, you have this clown is like, hey there, kid, you know, don't you want to float and blah, blah, No, it is like anything that it wants to be. Yeah. And that's what makes it scary. So I think in terms of talking about the different creature effects and things that they did, I thought that the director was really on get on his game here uh, as far as creating a lot of visuals that I don't know if this sir I'd say I was scared, but I was creeped out a few times and I was just kind of smiling at times because I felt like, ooh, this guy, this is really working for me. Yeah, when I saw the trailer to this movie, part of me was was honestly not too impressed by how I thought Pennywise looked in the trailers. Well, they should. Well, they well they relied on the jump scares. Yeah. So, I I know I said at the top of this I was very hyped to see this movie and I was really looking forward to it, but when I saw the trailer and you just see Pennywise in short clips, I wasn't blown away by I how he looked. He looked goofy. Like they they have a jump scare where they the clip and the, they have a scene in the. And again, there are two trailers, but the one that they showed over and over again had had Bill going down to the basement and seeing his brother Bill. That's where, you know, and then George is like, you'll fall too, you'll fall too, you'll fall too. And then it just shows Pennywise rushing at the camera. We've seen that how many goddamn times in so, horror movies. And I, yeah, it, it didn't leave like a feeling like, oh, I can't wait to see it. I think that. Pennywise looked a lot better in the actual film than yeah. he looked in the trailers for the film. Well, that was, I feel like also the actor put in a lot of work to make him distinctive. Uh, and especially distinctive from Tim Curry. And I, I was yeah. reading some trivia about the movie last night, how Bill Skarsgård was actually really, uh, at first a little anxious about doing this performance because... He, th he thought, like, I, I want to get this right, because otherwise everybody's going to compare it to Tim Curry. 
Beep, beep, Richie. I didn't hear that. I didn't. I beg your pardon. Come on up, Richie. I got a balloon for you. <laughs> Don't you want a balloon? <laughs> What's the matter? One balloon, not enough. Try a bitch! Frankly, I don't know how everyone else is going to feel about this. I thought he did better than Tim Curry. <laughs> it's so different. I mean, Tim Curry's take on the role is so different. Mm. I think Tim Curry comes off more as, like, your creepy, socially maladjusted uncle. <laughs> is everything all right? Yes. Last chance, Tasha. Get out before it gets dark tonight. You're too old to stop me. You're all too old. Mike Hanlon, if you see... Excuse me, sir. Do you have Prince Albert in a can? You do? Well, you better let the poor guy out. Yeah, Mike Hanlon. Did I have to go? Did I have to get cleaned up? Tell him. Tell him. Tell him I'll see him tonight. Get out. Maybe a little bit, yeah. Because Tim Curry is, a, I feel like his performance is a lot, like, sillier. Yeah. So, I like the Tim Curry performance, and I have a personal rule where I will never say anything derogatory about Tim Curry ever, because Rocky Horror Picture Show, I love you for life, Tim Curry. Um, mm. So, I feel like the tone is apples and oranges but i will say this in it the miniseries i did not find tim curry as pennywise even remotely scary like no. not even the tiniest bit i think he was entertaining yeah you could tell he was having fun you know uh, as i was imitating you in the car ride home <laughs> um, like that's his laugh in in the series so i like yeah. tim curry's performance in the sense that i was entertained by it but was he scary in the miniseries? No, not even the littlest bit. And he's just kind of like a Borscht Belt comedian. <laughs> Mel Brooks presents it. Yeah. That's kind of how I thought of him. Yeah, and and that does not and also that does not reflect the book either. I feel like both the director and actor decided, let's try to go back more to the book and how Pennywise actually is you know, trying to be scary. And then also, let's try to work in other, more of the effects Yeah, also. Pennywise is actually going for creepy in this movie, not just, like, a silly old man. And I, he's opening, Pennywise's opening conversation with Georgie. Oh, it's so great. was so good. I loved the opening conversation with Georgie because it really nailed how creepy Pennywise is, but also why a kid like Georgie would even talk to Pennywise in the first place. Because there is a part of him that's able to, I mean, I think kids like clowns, I guess. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Survey, write A, B, or C. Like, dislike, unsure. 
I, as a child, I was actually totally neutral towards clowns. Yeah, me clowns. too. I never, like, I was never one of those people that had a fear of clowns. Clowns never scared me. But I never, like, thrilled at clowns. I was totally neutral. Like, uh, even as a child, I'd be like, okay, this is an adult who's wearing makeup to amuse me and perform tricks. Okay. Yeah. As Pat Oswalt once said, you do realize that a clown is just a transvestite that doesn't stop. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can see why maybe they'd be also, at, consequently, you know, you might ask, like, why, why would clowns appeal to kids? Why would I could understand also why they'd terrify kids. I know that your dad hates clowns, for he example. Does. Um, so I'm curious if he'd ever go see this movie. I'll ask you if you've seen the miniseries. He hasn't read the book because... My father generally doesn't care for Stephen King's doorstoppers, as he puts it. He likes like the short stories and the short novels. He, he doesn't like ha he doesn't like having to read something that he could bludgeon somebody's head with. He likes to <laughs> use it as a weapon. <laughs> so, I would say for the most part, I was happy with Pennywise. How Pennywise looked. Occasionally, there were moments where like. The fakeness of the CGI kind of mm. pulled me out of it a little bit. Specifically, the where Pennywise would dramatically open his mouth to the point where his face I, I kind of collapsed. I was fine with actually a couple of those effects. There were other times, not so much with the mouth effects. Are you talking about one particular instance with Beverly? Yeah. I Actually, I don't know. I, I kind of liked that bit. That felt kind of creepy. I would say, in terms of how Pennywise looked, I was probably, like, 85% happy. In terms yeah. of the other manifestations of it, I I liked them, too. Like, for instance, I thought the leper, who Eddie sees, yeah. looked great. I thought that woman that Stan sees Oh, yeah. Oh, that was, that was really good. That was spectacular. Um, yeah, because th that's the other thing, again. So, in the book... I feel like, again, I didn't get to too many of these set pieces in the book yet, but I got to a couple. It wasn't part of the idea in the book, though, which I don't think that this movie quite got, was that the kids are, because they are, and Stephen King likes to work a lot of pop culture into his mm -hmm. books, that the kids are kind of seeing manifestations based on things that they recognize. Yes. Like, for example, one kid gets killed by... The creature from the Black Lagoon, and the, the the what's funny is Eddie's first encounter in the book with it. That not not Eddie, sorry. Um, uh, no, Mike. Mike's first encounter is with a bird-like creature, which comes after a viewing of Rodan. <laughs> which I actually I didn't remember that when you told it to me. You're like, I just read this scene with Mike and the giant bird, and I was like, yeah. Oh, I but that. but I know that also. Again, I haven't gotten to some of these other parts in the book, but I know that he also works. You know, there are werewolves. There's like yeah. even the mummy. Uh, now uh, that could have been interesting to me if they had done that in the film, but at the same time, I also get why maybe they didn't do that. Maybe because mm -hmm. there's only so much time. Yeah. And maybe you'd have, like, it might be kind of trying to jam something in there if, like, oh, now we have the scene where the characters are watching the the, the Wolfman or American Wolf in London, and now here's the scene where a wolf attacks somebody. Yeah, so generally I was, I was very happy with how they showed it, how they showed the physical manifestations. I think it. my favorite one was with Beverly. 
and the hair. Yeah. There, there's a scene. That's all I'll say. If you decide to go th- this movie mostly blind, um, and I think at some point uh, we, we'll probably get into spoilers a little bit more, but there's a scene involving Beverly where she encounters this manifestation of it, um, and yeah, it's it's really ugh. yeah. Um, that that really took me for. Uh, I don't know if I was scared so much, but there were times in this movie where I was. Again, not scared, but I was like, ooh, ooh, it's yeah. doing this now, which I didn't quite expect. I was almost just, my expectations for this, I was hyped for this movie, mostly by the good reviews, but at the same time, I always try to temper that with, well, you know, it's kind of hard to scare me now. You know, I'm, I'm unless if I'm going to see a 35 millimeter print of Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> that's been run over a hundred times. Um, but no, this did a lot of good work. I think what, going back to the CGI thing of Pennywise, uh. Uh, I, again, I liked some of the bits where the mouth opens up wide, but there were other things in the climax I thought that were a little bit not uh. that great. Maybe they, I also felt like maybe they were trying to mask that because the set is so dark. Uh. Um, but yeah, no, I'd agree that that was, that was something that, uh. For the most part, he looked good, but yeah, there were a couple moments where the CGI could have been a little better. Mostly, it's when he's running. <laughs> that's that's bad. And he practically leaves like little dust clouds as a Looney Tunes <laughs> character. Yeah, yeah. Again, so if you saw those bits in the trailer where Pennywise rushes at somebody, that is how it is in the movie, and it is silly. It is, but but again, that's not the majority of it. And that was my worry that he was going to be. Like a cartoon character, and he's not. The actor does a really good job making him a a villain. Um, here's an odd question. I almost wondered at first, like, uh, why isn't Bev's father hitting her? He does in the book. <laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah. what I mean, though. He does. Like, he's more of an abuser. Whereas the movie, he doesn't, but he almost feels even more threatening. Well, yeah, he is so... Beverly's father is so gross in the movie, as he should be. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like they wanted to emphasize kind of... Um, More sexual abuse? Yeah, because in the book, um, this is how I think it all pans out. In the book... He doesn't actually molest her, but he wants to. Mm, He's sexually attracted to her, but he's also obsessed with guarding her purity. So, I mean, that line, like, I worry about you, is, like, directly from the book. Yeah, that's that's something that carries over from also the, in the miniseries, too. Like, the, I I imagine when I, you know, I got to where the the bit with the poem that Ben Mm. writes um, in the book, and that's in the, both the movie and the series. Um, so, so, yeah, but... And you know what's funny about that? With this movie, the original director of this was uh, Cary Fukunaga. I might be mispronouncing his name. He he did True Detective Season 1, uh, Beasts of No Nation. He did some other things. He was originally going to make this movie, and he left early on because of like creative differences. And one of them was that um, originally in his script which I think he's still credited as a writer because there's a lot of his structure to the movie. He originally was going to make it more explicit that the that Bev's father actually does rape her. 
Well, there is this, I don't, because the book is not told in chronological order, I don't know if you've gotten to this part, but there is a scene in the book um, where he, you know the scene in the movie where he goes to attack her, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, in the book, he's basically, um, I hope I'm remembering this correctly, that he basically wants to spot check her hymen to check to see if she's still a virgin. Jeez. Because he's become convinced that she is sleeping with all the boys in the Losers Club. So he, he threatens, he wants to hold her down and examine her to check her for her purity. Yeah, whereas the movie... I don't know if you felt this. I almost felt like it was more disturbing than that. The I felt like, I don't know if this is getting a spoiler, though, but the movie, it almost felt like it was implying that he had maybe done something to her before. Yeah, I think the movie was implying that he was sexually molesting her. Yeah. Because there's, he asks her repeatedly, like, are you still my girl? Yeah. And... It, it, it's funny, but by bring that, that's why I brought up the whole thing with this, other director that by taking out the that exp, but you know taking out that explicit if there was like an explicit rape scene that's good good i'm glad they you know maybe that would have been a little too much to stomach but what they left in makes it worse because then your mind is filling in those gaps yeah, they did a really good job making Beverly's home life seem really horrible. Yeah, I mean, and, and the father... actor the actor plays the father is also really gross. Yeah, and also even, like, the set design of the apartment. Yeah. You know, it looks grimy. And everyone also in the apartment, like, always looks kind of sweaty when they're in yeah. there. We talk about the casting of the kids, but a lot of the casting of the adults was pretty good, too. I liked... Uh, Eddie's mom yeah. looks like she, it almost looks like she has padding on. Yeah, I, I'm fairly <laughs> sure watching that there was an actress wearing a fat suit. Yeah, but I didn't care because she had a certain tone that was both, you know, there might be like 10% actual care and 90% I'm an obsessive control freak <laughs> who's trying to wreck your life uh. um, with, uh, with your gazebo <laughs> of placebo um i should also mention by the way there's actually a, a little bit of humor to the movie too that i think works mm. it's pretty funny at points um i almost wondered if i would have been laughing more if we'd had like the right audience because mm -hmm. um, i you know I've, one thing i've read on social media is that you should go see it with a big audience and i think we had like a full audience we didn't have I had a couple of people talking next to me. I don't know about well, you. Well, the guy sitting right next to me. Yeah. I mean, I normally I would have shushed them up for this. I don't know. Would it have done any good? No. It's just people are barbarians. Nobody's any manners anymore. I think for, for other horror movies, I might have tried to shush people. But in this case, I don't know. It's it. <sighs> but um, before we get into spoilers, yeah, I would say I recommend this movie. I recommend it actually pretty highly. I do think overall I liked it more than the miniseries. Um, again, we'll see how it goes into the next part, because we got, like, It Volume 1 and It Volume 2. Yes, yeah, so I, um, I liked the movie a lot. I thought it was really good. Our friend Gabe, who... Is <laughs> a huge fan of the book. I started to read his review on Letterboxd 
of the movie. I didn't finish it because I wanted to wait until I saw the movie yes. to read his full review. But I started reading his review and I took something he said to heart where he had this critique of the film where he said the film really loses something because you don't have those... You don't have the non-chronological order. You don't mm. have the cutbacks from the 80s to the 50s, from the 50s to the 80s. And the, the book really thrives on the juxtaposition of the adult characters with the kid characters. Hmm. So he thought that the film lost something by just doing all kids versus all adults. So do you So do you feel the same I, way? I had his comments in mind when I went to watch the film. And... Ultimately, I decided that I prefer the book the way the book is. Like, I like that the book cross-cuts. If it had been a TV show, I would want the TV show to be cross-cutting. Mm. But ultimately, I thought that I just don't think you can do it in, like, a standard-length theatrical film. Yeah, well, also, it's the kind of thing, too, that it would make it very long... A thing that popped into my head watching this, uh, watching this movie and thinking about other adaptations of really highly acclaimed, almost, I'm going to use the wrong word here, but quintessential works. Uh. My mom will really enjoy I said that word. Um, so, <laughs> um, but I thought about Watchmen a little bit. The fact that also that they both take place in the 80s. Uh. And the fact that Watchmen, both the comic book and then the film they cut back in time quite a bit. Like, mm -hmm. Watchmen is very, is non-chronological in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but then Watchmen is almost three hours long, and with it, for the type of movie that it is, again, we're talking about a movie, I don't think the... Yeah, you couldn't quite do the cross-cutting and keep it at that length. You would either have to make it a TV series, and in that case, who knows, maybe as a TV series, you could throw in even more than what the movie does. Yeah. But I'm almost fine with it the way it is here. And I get... The thing is, too, you then have to also think about that the series did the cross-cutting. Mm. That that exists, the miniseries. And that did it kind of poorly. Like, that did it where, for example, Ben picks up the phone... Adult Ben picks up the phone <laughs> and it's like, Hello, it's Mike Hanlon. And I was reminded of this because I rewatched the uh, Nostalgia Critic did a review of It, the series, years ago. <laughs> and there's a point where, like, Ben picks up the phone and hears, Ben, it's Mike Hamlin. The camera zooms in on his face like it's Wayne's World. It's like, extreme close-up! <laughs> and then it cuts into, I'm going to carve into your belly, fat boy. That doesn't work, though. Yeah, so I feel like I understand the point, but I just, I personally struggle to think of a way you could have done it well. In a theatrical film, as opposed to a TV show or a book. What we'll get one day. But I thought is... it was a very interesting point, so I wanted to reference it. And now that I've seen the movie, I will go back and read the rest of your review, Gabe. Yeah. Well, you know what? One day we will. Yeah. And I actually, we're talking about Gabe Rodriguez, who uh, has been on the show uh, before as a local vocal guest. He will occasionally write in. So thank you, Gabe. Uh, I haven't read his review yet. I actually didn't want to get too spoiled. I haven't really read a full review of the film up till now. I wanted to try to, for lack of a better word, stay a little pure. Before I, which is ironic since I'm reading the book and about to see the movie. But I meant reactions to the film. Um, 
So, I don't know. I, I could see where he's coming from, but again, for a movie, I just I don't see how it would have worked. Like, let me put it this way. The changes that this director... By the way, this director, I, I should mention, his name is Andres Machete. His only other credit is the movie Mama, which I think this is a better movie than Mama. <laughs> I think we can agree on that. He did a good job, though, of getting those childhood scenes so right that yeah. as just a standalone movie, even if there wasn't an... You obviously want to see another It film now, but as a self-contained film, it still works in, in terms of the storytelling, in terms of how, uh, you know, and there are things that are predictable, of course. I mean, you have that, and I don't know if this was exactly in the book because I haven't gotten to this part yet, but, you know, you have that moment in a movie where the characters suddenly go like, we can't do this anymore, we have to break up, and... You know, you have that, like, oh, now we're apart. And now we have to come back together because X character is in danger and blah, blah, blah. Now we're going to all be together. You know, did that seem like a what you'd seen in a movie? Yeah. But, I again, I was fine with it because the director got right. It's not like in The Dark Tower <laughs> where we're going to make the man in black the main villain, like, much more, I think like even than in the books you, you know and in the books he's a main presence but in the movie it becomes like a a thing where it's like i'm using all these children to try to use their mind energy to make a beam towards so we can destroy the dark tower <laughs> and i'm like oh god no so maybe part of its perspective yeah that I... we just had a really bad adaptation of a king work and it's good to have a good one yeah it's i would say that i was very happy with the movie on the whole i thought it was very entertaining you're never gonna be able to capture the full majesty of the book in the movie the book is just too sprawling and too i think this movie though did a very good job of providing a satisfying story and yes. and and they took and they made it like, I would think if I was a young person, like 12, 13, I'd probably watch this a lot of times because it has a lot of effective horror movie imagery. And I'm pretty happy with one change they made. All right, and we'll get into that in the spoilers uh, in a moment. But So if you have any thoughts about what we just talked about, send us an email to wagesofcinema at gmail.com, or you can leave us a comment on Facebook and Twitter. Um, I think that one of our regular listeners page pedro uh socio pedro i think is his name on twitter uh actually asked us when are you going to review it well here you go pedro um so with that uh now we're going to go into spoilers so if you don't want to be spoiled or if you care uh we're going to do it now so three two one uh, <clears throat> i had an idea uh when i was in colorado that I wanted to write a really long book that had all the monsters in it. I, I really have, I figured that people think that I'm a horror writer. I never considered myself to be that myself. I'm just a writer writer. I thought to myself, okay, if they if they want that, let me see how much I can I can do, and I'll, I'll get all the uh, <coughs> monsters together that I possibly can. I'll get I'll get the vampire, and I'll get the werewolf, and I'll even get the, the mummy, although the mummy has never really scared me, because it's like, oh, the mummy's after us, let's all walk. He's <laughs> not a terribly scary monster, but he had to be there because he's one of the classics. 
And then I thought to myself, there ought to be one sort of binding, horrible, nasty, gross creature, the kind of thing that just, oh, you just don't want to see that. You Okay, child orgy. <laughs> um, okay, child orgy. So let's explain to the listeners. In the book, you have in these childhood scenes, this doesn't come though in the book until near the end, because again, you have this cross-cutting, so what you see is in this summer of 1958, which here again, it's night, summer of 1989, um, this, uh, you know, it goes across the whole book, and when you get to near the end, when the when the when the losers' club are finally going to and have one last go at fighting Pennywise, or so they think, you know, they're they're really terrified. They're they're kids. They don't know what they're gonna do. So Bev has this crazy idea to let all of the other boys, all six of the other boys, have sex with her. Yeah. Okay, so let me give you a little context for when I was reading the book. <laughs> I remember this well. All right, so I was reading the book, and when we get to the child gangbang scene, I literally threw my copy of the book across the room. Kill it, kill it, the book's about to sprout spider legs. I ran out, I went to Jack, and I had to complain to him about what I had just experienced. Then I called my father. Oh. And I ranted to him about who, who it. Who hadn't read the book either. And then I went online and I googled a few things. And I was so horrified by this section, which is only a few pages in the book. The scene is not exceptionally long. But it was so gross and gratuitous and bizarre and just totally not oh well also just in a narrative standpoint so again i i haven't gotten to that point in the book yet obviously i feel like i might have listened to you read that section out loud to me just so that you could think to yourself am i hearing this correctly it was it was Um, insane but but narratively what i was about to say though is that just narratively you don't need that because the whole thing with getting ready to fight pennywise is that pennywise feeds off of fear he feeds off of the fear of children that's why he's been able to kill so many kids is because kids will suddenly become extremely fearful when they realize that this clown who is in the sewer (laughs) is actually going to rip off their limbs and eat them so the, the losers just finally find the courage within themselves. We're, we won't be fearful anymore. And we'll kick your ass. And you can't feed off our fear. So you lose your power. That should be enough. Yeah. And there, you know, there are plenty of ways to bond with your friends. There are plenty of ways to come of age. There are plenty of ways to demonstrate, you know the passage of time, you know, childhood to adulthood, bonding without having child orgies. And I don't know if I'd call it an orgy. Well, yeah, because basically all the men run a train on Beverly and Well, we don't call them men yet. They're yes, they're still all the boys. boys. And I'm sorry, the entire thing is so ridiculous. The idea that all these boys who 
could even perform, could all perform sexually at that time. Mm -hmm. I mean, the idea that they are in a sewer (laughs) fearing for their lives and they're all capable of, like, gaining and maintaining erections. What I also find ridiculous is that there are reactions from certain readers out there. I'm not going to say any names. But there are certain people who read that and think, oh, that seemed kind of innocent and nice. No, it's gross. And there's even this scene where, from Beverly's perspective, at one point, um, you know, at first... She's not really enjoying it physically. She's more enjoying it emotionally. She's enjoying that by offering herself up sexually, she's bonding the group together. So at first, she's kind of, you know, enjoying it mentally, but not really enjoying it physically. But no, eventually she gets into it physically, too, and has an orgasm at some point. Because, yeah, that would totally happen, too. And the whole thing is just gross and disgusting, and I hate it. Like, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. It's so terrible and i understand that beverly has been um raised in an environment that might lead to acting out sexually because she's had this sick relationship with her father and also and they address this in the movie she's kind of rumored to be a loose girl yes so i understand how beverly specifically is kind of raised in an environment where she might act inappropriately in a sexual manner but uh, oh the fact that like all these different guys are ca- are capable of doing this to her it's it's, it's disgusting but also and... the, another thing that i've seen as a defense online somewhere is that well they, they you know you have to have that because then they're you know pennywise feeds on children once they have sex, they're not kids anymore. No. Yes, they are. No, that's kids. not how it works. They're just kids that have had sex. Um, <laughs> no, I have seen that as like a reason. But even um, there are things about it that are totally ridiculous. Like in the book, there's this reference that, you know, Ben is self-conscious about his body because he's a chubby kid. Yes. And we're supposed to believe that Ben is willing to strip down and bone Beverly, the object of his affection, in a sewer in front of his friends. Please. It also, yeah, it just, aside from, to me, that hearing about that, and then you've also gone through like a thousand pages with these characters that you've really grown to like, who bond like normal people do like normal characters and then you shove in this moment that feels like fan fiction that you would read online somewhere (laughs) like in you know like oh here's the scene where the beast and bell fucking beauty and the beast yeah it's kind of like if the protagonist from lolita um re like put in this weird if Humbert Humbert wrote like a few pages in it randomly it's just it's so nasty and and you know I almost want to to be fair to Stephen King for just a moment just to be fair to him uh, which I know is going to sound weird how can I be fair to him now the man was on a lot of drugs 
when yeah. he wrote, probably wrote a lot of this book. I mean, you know, th- this movie, this book came out the same year, I think, as Maximum Overdrive. So <laughs> I just kind of picture Stephen King kind of coming off the set one day, being <laughs> ragged off his ass on coke, and be like, oh, "How am I gonna, how am I gonna finish this scene? And it? How am I gonna do this? Oh, I got it." Here, I just did it. I great. And then he wakes up next morning and he's like, "Oh God, what did I just write?" Yeah. Well, it's here. I understand Stephen King did all the cocaine, <laughs> all the cocaine. If, if you've never seen it, I encourage you to check out the trailer for Maximum Overdrive, which I think we saw in thirty-five millimeter last year in like uh-huh. a horror movie festival, where he's just like, "Hi, I'm Stephen King." <laughs> now. A lot of people have made movies of my books, and they haven't gotten them right. So I thought, and his eyes go like wide as hell. He's like, why don't I try it myself? I'm going to scare the hell out of you. Was he boozing in the 80s still, too, when he was snorting all the I thought it was both. I thought he was alternating between booze and coke. Because I know, like, in the 70s, he was just, like, an alcoholic, right? Yeah, I think coke was a little bit more of his bag in the 80s, like... Um, you know, cause that's when he got more money. So yeah. maybe he couldn't afford Coke before. So booze was all he could get. And then it was maybe a combination of booze and, and that. So it's like you have it. And again, I'm not trying to excuse it. It's a, a really horrible thing to write in. And also shame on the editor for not taking King to task. For that. <laughs> like, but, um, I but guess... I under I understand maybe where his mindset was. I guess I'm glad that, you know, he doesn't rein himself in and is willing to, you know, take risks and take chances as an artist. So I guess I would rather an artist try crazy things sometimes and fail rather than just being safe and but i really cannot overestimate how much i hate this well well, it also harms what as you said was going to be almost your favorite stephen king book Um, because of how much you love the characters and how genuine everything was and how deep a work that should just be a piece of genre whatever it's like oh it's a horror book you know you can't write anything serious with that but no something like it and even, you know, again, I've read, you know, we both read The Stand, too. The Stand has other issues, but that's also a work where you see somebody working in a genre and really elevating it. Yeah, so I kind of, I feel like you really nailed my primary, my core issue with it, is that the relationship between the Losers Club is supposed to be, you know... A kind of wholesome reprieve from the horrors of everything else around them. And even though, like, the kids, you know, fight with each other and insult each other, there's a core goodness to the relationship that just totally sullied. And there's, again, aside from Beverly, there is absolutely no foreshadowing to the idea that these kids would be screwed up enough to engage in this yeah, kind of behavior. I mean, I mean, because kids yeah. don't just do this without something really being wrong with them and their upbringing. I and... mean, also, too, with the... Ex- I mean, Ben certainly has a thing for Beverly in the book. I haven't gotten so much into the other things of the boys 
are attracted to her or not, but it was more, but I would get the sense that it would be more innocent than that. Like it's burgeoning sexual feelings, but not quite there yet. Yeah. I mean, there are, you know, there are, you know, members of the losers club that love Beverly, but you know, it's puppy love. It's not like, it's the equivalent of when we watch like one of those series and like, it's a bit of a jump the shark moment when you're watching a series too, where like a character that you, that you want that just had more paternal love, for example, for a character, all of a sudden it goes into another level altogether. Like it would be the equivalent. I, I think for you of imagine if like Giles fucked Buffy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, actually I had never made this comparison until just now, but it reminded me of how, um, I don't like the cut of Luke Besson's The Professional that really amps up, uh, um, Natalie Portman's crush on mm. Jean Renault. Cause you know, there are multiple cuts. No, I, I, I know. I've, I've seen what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah and that was the version I saw. Yeah. I don't like that version. I like the original version. I didn't have as, I didn't have the problem you had watching that in that scene only because that didn't derail the rest of the movie. It certainly happens and it's a little bit off, but it doesn't ruin their relationship. It's just a scene where she's kind of awkwardly hitting on Jean Renault and he doesn't really go for it. And that, then they move on with the story. It, it doesn't also, it doesn't come at the end. Yeah. By the way, another thing, um, now, you don't really talk about how a lot of people, when they talk about they have a problem with the ending of It, they bring up the spider. Well, I have other beef with the ending of It, too. Like, basically, I think It, the book, just goes off the rails entirely at the very end. So, the child gang bang is not my only problem. Like, I don't like the thing with the giant spider. I don't like, um, in the very end of the book, they introduce this concept that it is a female energy and that it lays mm. eggs, which, I don't know, I have this crazy idea. If you're writing a book that's almost 1,100 pages long, maybe you should introduce that before page, like, 1050 or whatever it Maybe is. that was a case where Stephen King had just gotten back from the theater seeing aliens <laughs> and decided, I'm going to write this into the book. So, there's this, like, Stephen King just tosses in this thing about how, like, it lays eggs and it procreates, and this is something that's never dealt with, like, right? 90% of the book. So, yeah. I... I really feel like the book really goes nuts towards the end in, like, a not good way. Well, that's, so. like, well, one of the things that King's notorious for is, you know, his endings not being that great. Um, and I, I've seen that firsthand with uh, The Stand yeah, and other I mean, books. Not all of his endings are crap, I should mention. There are actually a good number of books where the endings are yeah, fine. I, I but... think the majority of Stephen King books I've read are perfectly fine endings. The problem is, though... When he screws the pooch on the ending, he really screws the pooch on the ending. Yeah. It's... But that's something, too, though, that I feel like the movie, now talking about the ending of the film uh. that we just saw, because let's get back to the movie, I actually kind of liked knowing that the, there's a giant spider, because the spider comes up in the, in the mm. 90 series, too. I thought, actually, they dealt with that pretty well, because... In the end of this movie, when all, the loser club is attacking uh, uh, Pennywise, there's a moment where Pennywise sprouts spider legs. Yeah. And that, I thought, was like, ooh, that's kind of cool. You didn't go full spider. You never go full spider. <laughs> 
but you did it just enough so that if you do have the follow-up and you do show a spider, at least it's not coming out of nowhere. Like, that might be why it just, you know, maybe King just thought, well, people are scared of spiders. Maybe I'll throw in a spider here. This, it at least kind of works into how it manifests into different forms. So I kind of like the ending of... They, I feel like the makers ended this movie better than probably King could have if yeah. he was writing it. I was very happy with the climax of this film because it didn't go off the reservation into crazy town. Yeah, it also incorporated the other characters there, how they've seen it, it, it like each time they vision it. And then it also then throws in Beverly's father. <laughs> he becomes yeah. it. Um, there's an element that I like with how Pennywise and It is. Uh, it's kind of funny that one of the few times they do make a reference to the 80s here, um, and it's so it's so slight you might have missed it, because mm. Bill at one point goes into a movie theater, and it's showing Nightmare on Elm, Elm Street, Street Part 5. There's a bit of Freddy Krueger to It, isn't there? Yeah, I can see that. A little bit, because the way that Freddy Krueger will sometimes try to manifest in different ways, and even though... It isn't in their dreams. Mm -hmm. The fact that only they can see them and that they have this connection. And also, I think the fact that it kind of molds itself based on their particular fears and issues. Yes. So. Yeah, so I I really quite like the ending to the film. um, With the exception of some of the CGI. Yeah. I will say, though, um, I think... The, um, I liked the visual of all the floating children. Yeah, that too. Yeah, and I don't know if that was in the book or not, but that was just, as its own thing in the movie, that that was really cool. The, the idea that all these kids, which I assume that the kids are still dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like the kind of thing where, you know, you kill, it, that that other cliche of where you kill the, the creature and yeah. all of a sudden all the kids are fine. They don't go for that. But it's still a... That was a cool visual. Yeah, it looked really cool. And I also... I really liked the scene in the field mm-hmm. after they get out of the sewer and dispatching it where they vow to each other if it ever comes back. That was very touching. That was. Yeah. Uh, let me talk about Henry Bowers for a second. Yes. Because uh, he's a character that especially stands out to me in the book. I feel like... Stephen King intentionally writes Henry Bowers to be as terrifying, if not more, than Pennywise. Like, reading the sections where Bowers is doing the horrible things he does to Ben and some of the other characters, it's like, wow, I am really fucked up over this character. And what the movie does with him is really fun. (laughs) Because Ben, not not Ben, uh, Henry Bowers... uh, you know, Pennywise, the other thing he does is that he kind of attaches himself to the bullies to try to use them as vessels. Either, he, either he'll kill them off, like, the one character, which is a really nice little scene. Or, with Henry Bowers, he's like, I'll just tap into him as another tool in my arsenal. And the way that he gets Henry Bowers to go, cra- like, crazy is just... That's one of my favorite scenes in the film. Because <laughs> what happens is Pennywise is... Con- controlling characters through the tv 
There's another scene, too, where you notice that. So it doesn't come out of nowhere Yeah, either. when Eddie's mom is watching TV, when Eddie's mom is watching TV, there's a thing where he where the TV talks about the sewers as well. Yeah. And th- that made me wonder, too, now, just talking about the film, I wonder if other characters, the reason why everybody acts so, quote, weird in this town is because they're watching this show that's created by Pennywise. <laughs> that's another thing that makes me think of Freddy Krueger, like the way Freddy Krueger would fuck with people in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies and just appear in places. That's what Pennywise does. Like, he talks to Henry, he's like, go ahead, kill your father, kill your father. <laughs> and then he does, and it's... There are a lot of things the movie does well. Again, this is a R-rated movie, so if you take your kids, be warned, it's an R-rated movie. It doesn't pussyfoot around with that. I imagine you must have been pleased with that, too. Yeah, because, as you know, I'm very disappointed by this PG-13 horror movie trend. Yeah, exactly. So this is a good antidote to that. Not just just regarding the rating, but I mean also as far as... um, uh the also the types of scares the movie does like there are again there are a couple of jump scares they're not too egregiously done they're they're okay yeah this movie is not one of those really obnoxious all the jump scares movies it doesn't end with pennywise that's what the trailer i think gives the wrong impression like i have a couple of friends who thought this movie looked awful like not just like uh, it doesn't look very good no they thought it looked terrible and i think it was because of those things that they throw in the trailer relax this movie isn't going to end with you know they show the shot of a box and all of a sudden pennywise comes up and jumps at the camera (laughs) i'm especially sick of that shit yeah i'm really sick of that in movie and i feel like that's a really big problem in blumhouse movies especially (laughs) This is kind of this is a nice example of what happens where and it's kind of sometimes rare I think in Hollywood. This is one last point I'll bring up before we wrap up the review. A lot of times horror movies they work within their limitations or sometimes they yeah. don't work within their <laughs> limitations of their budget, you know, especially with Blumhouse movies you just get like maybe a couple million dollars and that's it. And sometimes you get someone who is really creative with it and sometimes you don't. This was one of those rare exceptions. Maybe like The Conjuring is another one too, but you have somebody actually working with a good medium-sized budget at an R-rated level. That's kind of rare, isn't it? Yeah, which which is nice. So, <laughs> so any final thoughts about it? It's a good movie. You should see it. Um, it made me very eager to go back and reread the book, but mm. I'm probably not going to do that for months yeah. because I have 40 books checked out from the library currently. Yes, I'm, I'm eager to finish the rest of the book and to see what other scenes are in the book or what they do different. Again, I already, just having read a third of the book, recognized little changes, which, again, I could nitpick little things here and there that I almost wish were in the film. And I mentioned the thing about Mike Hamlin's dad and a couple other things. But again, as a movie, I thought this was one of the more effective horror movies I've seen this year, or the past few years. Like, this just... The director really relies on good old-fashioned creepiness, having using darkness well, using the camera really well at times. Uh, you mentioned the leper... Yeah. And I'm guessing he's in the book, too. I haven't, I'm not sure if I got into that point yet. But there's a moment 
where the leper attacks a character and it gets a little nuts, but in a really fun way. Um, so yeah, I'd say go see it, especially if you want good Stephen King movies. Uh, try to support this. Yeah. No, it seems like people didn't support the Dark Tower, which Thankfully. is good. You know, don't support movies that completely bastardize the source material in such a way that is just bland. Like, one thing you can't say about this movie is that it's bland. No, it is not bland. It is very... I also really appreciated that the movie didn't use any of those, like, typical visual tricks. Like, what I liked about this movie is it was creepy, but it didn't rely on the same bag of tricks to be creepy. So Yeah. So, for instance, it didn't totally wash out the color palette. No. It didn't have, like, a really distorted color palette. I also, I really appreciated when we see Georgie, he looks both really cute, and then later on, when, you know, it's not Georgie, it's just, like, Pennywise pretending to be Georgie, he he maintains his cuteness, but also looks kind of creepy, but he's not a traditional creepy kid. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, typically directors just cast a kid who's pale with dark hair. Exactly. And, like, paint bags under their eyes. And it's like, ooh, creepy kid. Yeah. So, I liked that things in this movie felt creepy, but they didn't feel hackneyed. No, that's the key word to use. It's not a hackneyed movie. It's made by somebody who you could tell really likes the source material, and at the same time, isn't is has talent too. I mean, I might say that the director of the miniseries of it also really loved the source material. He just didn't have as much talent with the actors or the visual effects. Um, and also, that was for TV anyway. So you may want to give that a pass. This feels like it should be seen on a big screen in a theater with you know good sound and uh, a good bucket of popcorn. Or if your kitchen is making it a big pretzel. <laughs> yeah, we want it. <laughs> <laughs> this, is so, this is so, like, a side note. Okay, but... do you want to tell them about the Bavarian legend? So AMC Theaters now, uh, they have this uh, dish, um, which is called the Bavarian legend. And, you know, you used to go to movies and it would just have, um, uh, you know, you just have the little pretzel bites and that's it. This, the now AMC theaters are selling this pretzel, which is as big as my wife's head. Yes. It's huge. It, and it costs $15. It's a gigantic pretzel. And it's tasty as all get out. It's so delicious. So good. And they give you also these dipping, uh, they give you like a little thing of mustard and a thing of uh. cheese, I think. And yeah, it's so great. And so we were going to get this and split it for the movie. And it's like, we come up to the, the counter, and they're like, no, nah, the kitchen's closed. Yeah. It's like, damn it, man, open up your kitchen. I was really disappointed that I couldn't eat half of a gigantic pretzel at 10.30 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> you know how that sounds. <laughs> but uh, The struggle is real. So, yeah, if you can, get popcorn or get a big pretzel. And... Uh, as usual, if you've seen the movie and if you have any thoughts, again, wagescinema at gmail.com. And uh, so thanks for coming on and talking about the movie. Uh, I know we haven't done this since, again, you and I together haven't done this since The Lobster. Yes, normally I'm a guest with guest Matt. 
in yeah. addition. So normally, you know, if I'm on the podcast, it's just um, you're you're with the full quote unquote uh, wages crew. Yes, you're one of the wagers though. You're an honorary wagers club. I'll sign it. I'll <laughs> sign your cast, and it will be wagers. <laughs> but yeah, I think this is only the second podcast that we've done mm-hmm. that's just you and I the entire time. Yeah. And if I don't say so myself, you're a pretty good guest. Thank you. Um... <laughs> you meet my very high exacting podcast standards. <laughs> Well, I am happy to add podcasting to my wifely duties oh. anytime. Uh, hashtag wifely duties. Um, um, well, especially for a movie like this. We'll hug too. We'll hug too. We'll you'll hug too. You'll, you'll hug, hug too. too. You'll hug too. You'll hug too. Bill, if you will come with me, you'll float too. I saw something. A clown. Yeah, I saw him too. What happens when another Georgie goes missing? Or one of us? Are you just gonna pretend it isn't happening like everyone else in this town? If we stick together, we'll win.